One of the things that Andy Steiger is passionate about and us as a church and what we believe you all, every single one of you, should be passionate about is not just what you believe in, but also and how you can defend what you believe in, okay? And so from Apologetics Canada to what Andy Steiger started to books like, you know, Thinking Like His or, um, you know, The Reason for God, there's a place and a space to defend the faith. And so we believe, and that's, that's, that's the thing we want to wrestle through this series, to equip you. But this is only one step of many steps, which means is you have to, as a Christian, continue that journey, correct? You need to further your education, as you would do in university, as you do in a job, as you do in a relationship, continue the journey of learning. Then you're going to be able to build something robust, so when the winds come and the concerns of the world come, you will remain firm, okay? But what we believe is based on truth. So the question for tonight, from last week it started off with, does God exist? Tonight we will go through, do all religions lead to God? Many years ago, I actually heard a youth pastor give a talk and the topic was on dating, okay? And this is a youth pastor that gave the talk to the entire church. It wasn't just to a youth group, but it was a youth pastor on the weekend where he got to speak to the entire church. He decided to use an analogy with parents and grandparents in the room and singles and marrieds and people dating. And this was his analogy. His suggestion was dating was like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet restaurant. I was like, oh, this is intriguing. I used to be a youth pastor. I've never used that analogy, but I've got to hear this one. And he keeps going. He says, as he pushes the analogy a bit further, he then says, you know, it's like you try a little this, and then you try a little that. And when the time comes, then you find the thing that you really want, and that's the thing you eat for the rest of your life. It's like, oh, Wow. And he kept, he kept going. He wasn't going to stop. And he was like, because, you know, you can't just go out into the buffet and say to everybody there at the buffet restaurant, that all-you-can-eat restaurant, that everybody eats, needs to eat the fried chicken and nothing else. Some people, some of you guys will be totally happy with that. I get it. But there were some in the room that want salad. I don't know who those people are. I don't want to know who those people are. But, you know, but some people want other things. So his suggestion, so on as the analogy pushes, was, hey, life is like that. Dating is like that and should be like that. So he wasn't making a suggestion, like as in, you know what I mean? But he was actually saying, no, this is what dating should be, even in the Christian realm. Try whatever you like. But you know what? The funny thing is, not in just the dating life, but in our everyday life, we approach life that way as well. And we also approach religion that way as well. It's just one of many options out there. But if you look, well, look around and see how we function as humans in our world here in, you know, in Canada, look around and think through how you, how you live, how you work or how you study you will start to see that thinking sort of seeping in the everyday decisions of life. 
you're going to be encouraged when the time comes for you to move out, or if you've already moved out, like you should live at the place that best suits you. Right? If it's not here, then, you know, yeah, move to wherever. Work. You should work at the place that you love most or the one that appreciates you most or the one that gives you the most money or pays you the most. Or study. We have this innate like, thing in us that believes that if I study at the most prestigious university, I'll get into the most prestigious job. Right? Or we'll go to the university that's best based on a particular topic or subject that we're trying to learn. But basically, the idea is you have options. We do that every day. If you don't like one option, we just move to the other. And so that's the question we've got to now think through in the framework of that is, do all religions lead to God if the way that we think is about, about life and everyday stuff is there? It's just one of another few options. You have to understand that this topic is still an issue. It's still not resolved because our culture would say and still says it is arrogant for any one person or any one group to claim they have exclusive rights to truth. Christopher Hitchens, a late, he's passed away now, but as an intellectual atheist, he has said it is fantastically arrogant for anyone to claim to know the mind of God. And you know the cultural moment that we are in, that all of us are in together today? It would tell us that because in our culture we have more access to information than any other time in history, that we as a society, culturally, are more intelligent than any other time in all of history. So if that's the case, then guess what? This is an even playing field now, all of us, all around the world. But yet, committed Christians believe that there is only one true God and that these committed Christians are called to worship Him and worship Him alone. And Christians would outright completely disagree with even someone like Mahatma Gandhi who would say religions are different roads converging to the same point. See, Christianity sounds pretty exclusive, but we live in a time where truth is relative, which is truth, society and culture would claim, cannot be known by an individual or a group. That's why we make statements to reassure ourselves of your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. So the claims that Christianity makes are offensive and intolerant. I'm not going to spend too much time on the passage I'm going to read, but it's a bit of a framework to how we continue in the topic of do all religions lead to God. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, I'll read it for us, and it says this. It's a setting of Peter and John, and they're the ones doing the, the talking, the preaching. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. 
And they arrested them, that is Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas and the high priest Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the highly priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, but what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the, and, and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all, to all you, of you that to all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well." This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Let me give you a bit of just a tiny bit of context to this passage. So Peter and John enter this place of worship and they see a crippled man, and they heal this man. This man's been crippled for a long time. He's been desperate for years upon years to be healed. No one's been able to do it. Everyone knows him. He's, he's, he's well known. And then he stops Peter and John, and then they heal him. And everyone who knows the case, they're completely amazed. That's why it gets to the crowd. That's why it gives you a number, gives you actual facts that there was actually 5,000 men, which would have been more because there would have been women as well. And they're all in amazement listening based on what they have done for this crippled man. So Peter goes on this long speech to the people about Jesus. Then when we get to chapter 4, all of a sudden because there's been such a crowd and there's been such a commotion and rumors and words have gone out that the religious priests of the time, but also the religious police that were there to govern the law, were there. And then the Sadducees, which is an interesting part because the Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection, sort of no afterlife, no spiritual life, no angels, no demons. Them and the Pharisees did not get along, but here they're getting along to attack Peter and John. And then Peter and John are put in, in front uh, at a, in a trial to defend their actions. So you've got all these sort of little different belief systems coming at Paul and John and asking them for a defense. And if you look at Peter's very short statement, he mentions many, many facts, verifying facts he lets them know. Even when he says Jesus, he doesn't say just Jesus, generally he actually says Jesus of Nazareth, which would encourage the people, go to Nazareth, Pharisees, go to Nazareth and go ask people about Jesus there. He's giving you a sort of a time and a place and location, but there they are. And they claim right at the end of verse 12 is, there is only one name that can save all of humanity. And they stand by their claim in this trial, in court. I've got a slide for you, it's of, an, it's of an interesting statue of, 
It's a story that comes out of India uh, many, many years ago. The idea of this statue, this picture is this. Because this is sometimes, the, this is a lot of the analogies that people will, will use to frame this idea of that no religion has the right to claim to be exclusive to the truth, okay? So the story goes is that sort of three uh, or a few blind men are led to an elephant, but they don't know it's an elephant, okay? So the blind men each hold a different part of the elephant. So one feels the trunk and then says, whatever this thing is, it's like a snake. And the next blind person then says, no, 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 you're wrong, as this blind man is holding the tail and says, no, you're wrong. Whatever this thing is, it's like, it's like a like rope. And the third blind man is holding onto the leg and says, no, 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 you're both wrong. Whatever this thing is, it's like a tree trunk. So the argument goes is that all of them are right because they are all each seeing just one part of the truth. And so that's the way religion works. So no religion can claim to anything exclusive, but all religions hold onto a different part of the truth. Knowing that most of those in the room, most, will claim to be Christian. So here's my call to you. You and I now live in a time that is very tense, and difficult. And there'll be some of you in the room that will even consider and think about softening the claims of Christianity because it's just too much. And then you start to ask questions like, maybe Christianity isn't the only way. At least that'll help me get into a better dialogue with people. Or maybe, yeah, the analogy is right. Maybe it is one of many other good options. Northview, to all our sort of young adult people here, my brothers and sisters, first of all, I'll let you know this. I love our country. I realized that more, for those who didn't know, earlier this year, I was in Australia on a holiday. The longer I stayed in Australia, the more I sort of missed Canada. It was, it was an odd feeling. It was like having an affair. <laughs> Why? while you're with your mistress. I don't know, I'm just, it's a stupid analogy. I, I don't, it wasn't even an analogy, it's not even in, in my notes. <laughs> but there I was in Australia with my former wife and all I can think about is my mistress, <laughs> Canada. But I realized how much I loved and missed Canada and just so you guys know, and I'll make it, this is a very public thing, you can let everyone know about it, but like, I am now eligible to be a Canadian citizen. Now, this is something that I am willing to do, but also very proud to do. But after nine years in this country, this is what I know about us as a country. We are one of those countries that's known for being what? Politically correct, right? We are also one of those countries that is known for saying sorry all the freaking time. <laughs> Even if it's not my fault, I still gotta say it. We're just known as nice people, 
That's what we are. That's what we want to be known as. And so my concern for us as a nice country is our temptation to say things that will not offend. And the problem is, there's moments living here where Christianity and being Canadian doesn't fit. Because Christianity comes off really offensive and also really arrogant. So what do you do as a nice country when the message that you need to proclaim and ask to proclaim doesn't seem nice? And it's completely offensive. And Jesus would go on and dare say stuff like, hey, people, if you're going to follow me, you might have to leave the ones that you love to follow me. That's what he says. You're going to have to hate everyone else and love me only. That sort of can rub us the wrong way as Canadians. But just because Christianity makes a big claim that Jesus is the only way to save all of humanity, it does not mean the statement itself is arrogant. Think about it this way. What if I said to you and to the rest of the companies out there and factory workers or whatever it is, Apple, the brand, the company, is the biggest company in the world? Does that sound arrogant? Sounds arrogant, but what if that claim is actually based on actual facts? Because the facts is, the truth is, Apple is worth about now, today, $2.8 trillion. It is the biggest company in the world today, the biggest. So my, my claim to you is this, is that if there are adequate grounds for the claim, facts that support the claim, then it is not arrogant to make the claim. And Christians have solid grounds for believing that Jesus is the only way. And Jesus himself has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is not arrogant to believe in what Jesus has said about himself. It is his claim to make. And it's the claim that we repeat. And it's the claim that Christians stand on. What you feel about it doesn't change the way, doesn't change the truth. See, the problem is, is not that the, the, the religion itself of Christianity, the beliefs of Christianity, the real, if you dig down deep, the real objection about Christianity is the claims of Jesus. The claims that he makes about himself. So the question for everyone in the room always is, is Jesus is who he says he is, is he God? Or, as C.S. Lewis would say, is he like sort of like a lunatic, a crazy person that claims to be God? He can't be both. He has to be one or the other. And so, besides going into Jesus at a, probably, I think, a better, a different time, but know that Christianity's claim to exclusivity gets most of the attention. But yet, if you dig down deep, it's really about Jesus. Last summer, I did a funeral. 
um, for like a family friend. He, he wasn't a believer, um, so he wasn't a, a Christian, but the family had asked me, and, I, and so I, I agreed, I said, I'll do it if you allow me to make the claims that I will make. But if you don't, I won't do it. You can get someone else. It's very easy to replace me. And so they agreed, because I said I wanted to make the claims that Jesus is the only way at this funeral, knowing how many non-Christians would be there. But there was a moment in when, uh, it was a moment in the funeral last summer when um, we sort of had this very short section of an open mic moment for some of his non-Christian friends to come and share a few things. If you've been at a funeral before, you'll hear some of these statements being made. Not that just at this funeral, but others as well, which were, and they will repeat at every funeral I've been at, that the person who had passed away was a good person. He was so good. He was so nice. He was so loving. And another statement that was made was, thank goodness they're in a better place now. They're no longer suffering. We make those statements partly because our culture believes what? That good people go to a good place and bad people go to a bad place. So after the funeral was done, we had a special dinner involving just the closest family and friends. And one of the guys in front of everyone asked me about, he pushed me on my talk and asked me about the afterlife. And during the conversation, which was a very nice, polite conversation, he wanted to openly share that he was, he disagreed with me wholeheartedly and then gave an analogy to prove why he would disagree. And the analogy goes like this. It's sort of similar uh, to the elephant one. Elephant one, this is sort of similar. And the, the analogy goes like this. It says, Pastor Vin, everyone in this world, it's like climbing up a mountain, one single mountain, like Mount Everest or whatever it is. And everyone's climbing it from sort of a different you know, sort of base camp, different place and area. But we're all heading to the top because that's the destination. We're all heading towards there. So in a sense, it was like, so all beliefs will get used to the same place. So why can't we just, why can't you and other Christians just get along with everyone else? I don't know if you've seen this bumper sticker on the next slide. But there's a bumper sticker that's been around, it's been around since the 90s, okay? Um, but you see every now and then, I've seen it, you know, I've seen it around in BC. And the bumper sticker, you can see it's all the sort of the religious symbols that's sort of meant to spell out coexist, okay? The reason why this sticker became so popular stemming out of about the 80s, 90s, was because there, you know, there, it was an era coming out of the 60s and 70s as well, and you can ask your parents about it, don't ask me about it. But the thinking was this, was that all religions teach basically the same thing, which is that all good people need to be good and need to be loving. 
But the people who put these pictures together or tell stories of the elephant and tell stories of climbing up the mountain together, the truth is, is they are unaware of each religion's claim. That's why they'll say, why can't you just exist? Because don't you all teach the same thing? Leave that up there just for a second. Listen, some religions believe that there is only one God. And some believe that there are multiple gods. Both can't be true. Some religions believe that hell is a real place. And some say it does not exist. Both can't be true. Some religions would say that God is an impersonal God. He stands at a distance and just waits and looks at you, do your own thing. And then Christianity would dare to say that God wants to be known and wants to know you and wants to know you sort of have, be, have an intimate relationship with you. But both can't be true. And some religions would say that our behavior will get God's approval. And yet Christianity says that your behavior counts for nothing. But both can't be true. And some say that Jesus rose from the dead. And others would say he is still dead. Both can't be true. The fact is, not all these religions can be right. Some, if not nearly all of them, have to be wrong. They both can't be equally true. And like I said before, how you feel about them does not change the truth claims themselves. In the statement, people will make statements to you that there is no objective truth, but that statement itself is an objective truth claim, is it not? That's like saying all sentences are false. But if all sentences are false, then that statement, that sentence itself, it's false as well. See, the problem with the elephant analogy and the mountain analogy is that the person telling the story, the narrator, can see the elephant for all it is, can see the entire picture. And the one telling the story about the mountain climbing up and the people climbing up the mountain can see the whole mountain and the destination and the end goal itself. And yet the funny thing about these, both these stories and analogies that have been told for, for many, many years is that is that the narrator, for some reason, doesn't enter the story and tell the people the truth. That the guy's looking at the blind men being idiots and making you know, ridiculous claims and doesn't jump to the story and say, hey, it's not, it's not a tree trunk, it's not a snake, it's not a piece of rope, it's an elephant. So someone will have to know the entire truth. And it's sad that when these narrators tell these stories that they have the truth but won't even share it. Christianity is not like other religions because it is not about being a good person. 
It's not about doing enough to outweigh the bad and then somehow you get in. Christianity actually says the very opposite of those things. It says that bad people go to a good place. See, the act of being good does not get you into heaven, even though Christians are called to be good, but it's not the reason for their hope and their ending and their destination. As an apologist once said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. So do all religions lead to God? You know, there's an issue with the question itself. And the issue is the word religion. The dictionary will define religion, the word religion as, it says this, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. If you would ask our culture today to define the word religion, you know how they would define it? They would understand it as moralism, as this idea of the stuff that religious people do, right? It's just the stuff that you do. And then Christianity would jump in and say, but that's the problem. The stuff that you do, that's the actual problem. Not the things that saves you and gets you and gets God's approval. Christianity will come in and tell you that it's your doing, your sins, as, that will, as the terminology would sort of say in the Bible. That's the issue. And then working harder to be a better person will not solve the problem. See, the solution isn't... Is the solution to Christianity is something that no other religion has. And that is the person of Jesus. See, Christianity claims to be the only way because it is the only religion that offers a real solution to the problem of sin, to the problem of you and I and the stuff that we do. It is the only religion that offers a atoning sacrifice that pays the debt that we owe. So Christianity claims also that it is not your goal as a human to reach God, to like, you know, stick your hand up and reach as best as you can. No, Christianity's claim is it is an act of God that reaches down to you. Many years ago, I remember sort of walking downtown uh, Sydney when I was still living in Australia at the time. And I noticed for some reason there were sort of um, Mormon, young Mormon missionaries sort of scattered. You, you, know, you know who they are from what they wear, that little black badge that they wear. And so I, I recognized they were sort of scattered along this main strip on the sort of the downtown core in Sydney. And I noticed that some of them were talking to people. And I remember walking down and for some reason I started praying, oh God, please let them pick me. It would just be fun. And I got selected. I said, like, oh, yes. So this, this sort of this young Mormon missionary, him and I started to, uh, start to get into a di- dialogue. And I started to sort of dismantle everything that he was saying to the point where he was getting really angry and frustrated to the point where he sort of gave up. And I remember walking away and I was like, Phew, I won. It was actually a really good feeling. But yet it wasn't my finest moment. And here's why. 
even though I got the guy in the corner in, in a bit of a bind that he couldn't get himself out of, all these claims of Christianity, all the ones that he claims to be, cause Christians to not be arrogant. It caused Christians not to demean people, despise other religions. That's not the core. Christianity calls on other Christians to what? To do the very opposite. It calls us to be like Jesus, the person we follow. It calls us to show kindness, patience, and grace to all other people and religions, especially, especially those we disagree with. And even though in our cultural moment, and our cultural movement has informed you and I that and has shaped us to truly believe in our core that those who disagree with us hate us. The claims of Christianity to all Christians listening should humble us, should cause humility in us. So do all religions lead to God the answer is no. Religion itself, in the ways we've, I just define it, then no. Jesus leads to God. That's it. I want to conclude with you from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 10. It's a, it's a section where John who's writing the book of Revelation, um, God gives him a glimpse into heaven and what it's going to look like. And this is what John says. He said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne... And before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Do you see the image that the Apostle uh, John gives? Basically what he's saying is this. When you look around the room even tonight, and when you interact with others tonight, and when you pray with others tonight, this is what I want you to know. It is through an exclusive claim that you're here. And yet in the midst of that, think about all the types of people that will gather under the name of Jesus. It's a loving and welcoming thing to be under Jesus. Jesus. 